This episode is brought to you by the Jewelry Institute of America. Learn optical diamond setting and hand engraving in our new location, conveniently located in Houston, Texas. Check out our courses online at the Jewelry Institute of America. Welcome to the Hand Engraving Podcast, the world's greatest podcast dedicated to the art and artists of hand engraving. I'm your host, Wade Oliver Wilson, Master Engraver. We're back. Thanks for joining me. A lot has happened since the last show. I'm going to spend a few minutes getting you up to speed. First, I would like to mark the passing of a fellow engraver, Mr. Ray Phillips. Ray lived to the ripe old age of 95. He was an engineer and contributed many things to the U.S. Navy submarine program. He also founded the Engraver Company in 1976, through which he supplied high-quality engraving tools. I never had the honor of meeting Mr. Phillips, but from what I've read online, it's clear that he was well-loved and held in high regard amongst his peers. Ray Phillips, born January 22, 1927, passed June 25, 2022. Rest in peace, Mr. Phillips. In happier news, I recently had a short phone call with Lee Griffiths, and we discussed his new online scroll design courses. Lee's a great engraver, world-class engraver, and to have the chance to take his course live and to be able to ask questions while it's going on is just too good to pass up. So I'll definitely be checking these classes out, too. Here's the call. Well, everybody, I am speaking to Lee Griffiths today. Lee, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Oh, thank good. you. Glad to hear it. So, uh, I saw online that you had a new set of courses. Is that true? That is true. And uh, what are they? Uh, had the first class last week, Liberty Scroll One. There will be two more in that same genre. And. Uh, you know, what I'm trying to do with these classes, at least in part, is my observation over the years is that there are a lot of people out there who are really good at cutting, as long as the line is there for them to follow. But they really don't know where to put the line. So I guess my aim, as much as anything, with these classes and with my teaching for a long time has been to help people understand how to design and lay out different scroll styles or ornamental styles so that they know, so that they're the ones in control of putting the line where it needs to be, and then they cut it. Helping them basically with the art side, with the layout and the design side. Um, you know, if, if you're really good at one style and you've done a couple of the same types of guns or the same model, but then you move to a different type of gun, you know that it's not going to fit in there. You still have to modify it. So I'm trying to help people so that they can do that. Yeah, that sounds really great. Uh, so you're putting out a series of uh, lessons, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I could teach for years with all the things that I have in mind. So Liberty Scroll 1 the class that we did last week, it's recorded, and if somebody missed it and they want to they want to get back in, um, they can pay and go in and watch the recording, and the only thing they miss is the opportunity to ask a question during the live stream, but they can ask it inside the private group. Oh, how cool. So, so Liberty Scroll 2 will be July the 21st, and we're going from the basic class we're really going to kick it up to the highest level and show how to incorporate flowers and a bunch of other elements into it to make it, you know, look really nice. And then the third class will be in August, and that will be cutting, where I show them how I cut it, how I shade it, 
how I treat backgrounds, different ways of treating the background, that will be a cutting class. That might actually be a format for a lot of these scroll styles that I think about, uh, I think I will handle in the future. There might be a basic drawing layout class and then an advanced, and then the third class will be actually cutting it. Oh, wow. That sounds like a really great resource. It's been well-received. The comments are good, and, and I think it's helping people. Well, very good. I'm sure I'm glad to hear that you're doing that, and uh, I look forward to hearing from people who have already attended the first class. I was on vacation, so I missed it. I'll have to catch up. I think that's all I've got. Uh, I wish you luck with your new courses. Uh, where will people find these? Um, I will be announcing them on the Engraver's Notebook, Brian Powley's uh, Facebook group, and on Sam Alfano's Engraving Bench. And I need to put some also on Engraver's Cafe. Okay. And if they're following me on, on my page... Lee Griffiths, or I don't even know what the name of it is for sure. It'll be posted there as well, and someday I'll get smart enough to put them out on Instagram where they disappear real quick, I think. And <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how much value there is there. I'm, you know, I'm really trying to learn this social media, and I'm way behind the curve. Oh, well, one step at a time. Yep. All right. Well, if I, if I see a link for it out there, I'll uh, grab it and post it where people can... Go and find your new courses. Wow, that'd be great. Thanks, Wade. All right, Lee. Well, I will let you get back to your day. I appreciate you talking to me. Thank you. Okay, goodbye. Bye. Speaking of classes, this September I will be teaching an advanced engraving course at the Jewelry Institute of America. The class will focus on design. In particular, we'll be learning how to design for difficult areas. The class project will be a Spyderco knife, and if you've ever engraved one of those, you know that they're kind of thick on the ends and thin in the middle, which is a problem. And then, of course, both ends have extra screw holes you don't need. So I will be sharing the process that I go through when I design them. And, of course, uh, I will be teaching how to incorporate both borders and scroll work to achieve our goals. I will teach at least three different styles of scroll work and ten or so border treatments. The date for the class is September 26th through the 30th at the Jewelry Institute of America, conveniently located in Houston, Texas. I hope you'll come down and spend some time with me. It should be a great class. I just visited the school over the weekend, and it all looks great. Classroom looks great. The class is limited to eight spots, so you're sure to get plenty of personal attention from me if you come down. I hope to see you there. You can sign up today at jewelryinstitute.com. Now then, with all that out of the way, recently I had the pleasure of speaking to today's guest, Kelly McRae. We had a great conversation, and I know you're going to love it. So without further ado, the pride of Pincher Creek, Alberta, Kelly McRae. Folks, if I had to list my four favorite Canadians, I'd say number four, Alex Trebek. Number three, Fred Eaglesmith. Number two, my guest for today, Kelly McRae. And of course, number one, Mario Lemieux. Kelly, how are you today? Well, I'm good, but I'm not quite as good as Mario Lemieux is right now. Well, who is, really? Right, by the sounds of it, yes, that's right. How are you doing today, Wade? Oh, I'm doing just fine, thank you. You know, uh, that's pretty good company there. Yeah, no doubt. we got lots of good company up here. You into Canadian singers, too? Oh, yeah. Uh, Fred Eaglesmith comes down once a year, and we never miss him. Okay, and I got Corb Lund that doesn't live far from where I'm at. Oh, really? Very so, good. Are you familiar with Corb Lund? No, but I will look him up. The reason I mentioned Canadians is because my guest today, Kelly McRae, who is an awesome silver artist. She lives in Canada. So, Kelly, why don't you let us know a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm a Western Bright Cut Engraver, Wade, and I live in Pincher Creek, Alberta, which is in the very southwestern part of the province. So um, I'm only about 20 miles uh, from the Montana border, 
and uh, we live right in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains. And so it's big ranch country here, and it's a perfect place to be a Western bright cut engraver. Um, I have a lot of clientele that are ranchers and horse people um, in one form or another, whether they're, you know, rodeo people, uh, horse show people, um, or just enthusiasts alike. So are just cowgirls at heart. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a nice place to live and good place to be an engraver. So 20 miles to Montana is, uh, once you get to Montana, is there anything at the border? Just cigarettes and gasoline or what? <laughs> no, well, there's no, there's not a town at our border. Um, we actually live right close to uh, Waterton National Park, which is part of Glacier Park in uh, in Montana. So it's all park country all along here. And we did have a border crossing right at the park, which kept this right in there. But um, apparently it has closed this summer. So we got to go make a little detour over to the east and then come back so to the west. It's fairly mountainous yeah. where you are then. Yeah, it sure is. We're just, just on the bottom of the foothills. So it's pretty, a lot of rolling hills here. And uh, yeah, we don't do a lot of grain farming right we're at but you just go 20 miles to the east of us and it's big grain farm. that's what i was going to so say right if you go over one province it's all uh it's all flat there isn't it oh yeah yeah oh, absolutely good. it is so yeah it doesn't you don't have to go far east to here for it to be flat well i've so. been to canada twice and both times it was to victoria so i don't i can't oh, say i was just gonna ask you where you went <laughs> well that's a pretty nice place to go if you're gonna come up here it sure is <laughs> pretty and... nice place to go Go. <laughs> I plan on going one more time too, so we'll see. Yeah, you need to come to Pincher Creek. What? How did you get involved in engraving in the first place? Okay, um, I actually I'm a hairdresser by trade, Wade, and I was my husband and I had 75 head of cows that I was feeding in the winter, and my in-laws he worked full time for a gas plant. My in-laws went away for the winters and spent them down in Arizona. And while they were gone, I was chore girl. So I fed about, through the winter, I was feeding about 400 to 500 head of cows and had a couple little kids packing with me. And my dad was a horse trainer. And that's what my folks did for a living growing up. My parents were horse trainers. And we always had a real love for the silver work and it was hard to get a hold of in those days um it's up here in canada it was hard to get a hold of anything custom made there just was not any makers up here of any sort and i don't think they were a dime a dozen down there then either um because we're talking probably like at this time like we're talking 70s early 80s Oh. Um, we did know a an engraver, um, a, a fellow, a friend we had up here. We're, my parents were friends with the Watt family. And one of their boys' names is Jeremiah Watt. And I'm sure you're familiar with Jeremiah. And if you're not, there's, he's someone to definitely look up to any engraver who doesn't know Jeremiah. I was listening to a podcast that had him on as a, as a guest. And when I heard he was okay. from Canada, I almost fell out of my chair. <laughs> I hadn't the slightest idea. <laughs> yeah, so his family and his wife's family are good friends of our family. Um, his brother came and did chores at my mom and dad's place when he was a kid. And another family sent their daughter to my parents for barrel racing lessons. And those two met as young teenagers and eventually got married. And that was, uh, I don't know how to explain this correctly, uh, that was Neil and Elaine Watt are their names. And Neil's brother, Jeremiah, married Elaine's sister, Colleen. Oh, gosh. So brothers married sisters through working in the barn at my mom and dad's place. <laughs> it's like a singles bar. <laughs> right. A singles bar where you got to watch out not to get kicked. <laughs> So anyways, we'll come back to how this all got going. Um, my dad had was looking for a changing career. He was uh, getting tired and, and worn out riding horses and wanted something a little easier on his body and, and really was interested in bit and spur work. And so he started building bits and spurs. 
and being a trainer, he had a real understanding of how everything needed to work. Um, and he did got more into the trophy line of things with buckles and, and spurs. Uh, he's kept track of his spurs over the years and he's built over 800 pairs of spurs in his lifetime. And he's got, he's got a record of every single pair and who owns them and where they've gone. I'll be darned. Um, so he started out with the metal work, but he didn't know how to engrave. And, and Jeremiah happened to have a class down at, I think it was in Sheridan. And it, it really was one of the very first of its kind at that time. I'm GRS might have been going, but I'm not certain exactly of the dates when, when they got started. So we're kind of mid-90s now when this is all happening. So he went down, did this class, and came home and said, you have got to learn how to do this. <laughs> and at that moment in time, I, like I said, I had two little kids. I was feeding all these cows. And I was also in the process of buying a hairdressing shop in town with another girl. And I was going to go back to work hairdressing. And I said, Dad, I do not have time for this right now. And my dad is a very convincing person. Uh, for anybody who does know him, his name is Jim Hyde. And you will know that he is a talker. And he's like, nope, you got to do this. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, fine. So just to humor him. I sat down and started engraving with him that winter, and that was kind of the end of it for me. I packed in the hairdressing idea. Um, this was something I could do that kept me at home. I could work around chores. I could work around kids, and I gave me something to do for myself. Uh, what I didn't know at the time, though, Wade, was because we had no internet, of course, then there was barely a computer out there and there was no google there was no resources what i didn't realize is how few engravers western bright cut engravers there were at the time or that there was a difference between what you do and what i do right um yeah so it was it was interesting to get going and uh kind of what i started doing was at that time Cowboy poetry gatherings were very popular, and along with them, they would have Western trade shows. And so that's where I started going and meeting other artists who were predominantly uh, braiders of some sort, rawhide braiders or horsehair braiders and saddle makers. Very few silversmiths around or bright cut engravers as well. So um, what I also didn't realize is that although there was very few engravers. And when I say few engravers in Canada, at that time, I could probably think of less than 10. Oh, wow. And of those 10, um, what I didn't realize is that there there wasn't any women doing this. Oh, not, not one, so except for that you, huh? was, no, that was the only one. Then there was another two other gals that came along probably within the next five years. After Not that we met each other or knew each other until many <laughs> years later. And then you start doing the timeline, right? And um, the first woman engraver that I met was Diane Scalise. And she was, she came up, did a show that we used to attend as well up here. And when we have many conversations about it now where we giggle and say, I said, like, you probably knew lots more down in the States. And she's like, no, you were one of the first that I met, too. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, so we, we get a chuckle out of that because we all thought that each other probably knew. There was probably more out there, but someone else must know them. We don't. So it was uh, so that was kind of how things started. Um, and that's where the most work came from was from those trade shows that we did. And like I said, I live in big ranch country and the neighbor ladies. Uh, and cowboys were very kind to me in the beginning when my work was still pretty rough and new. And uh, but the whole concept of having these handmade goods was also very new to them. So we kind of all grew together, and a lot of them have stuck with me through, you know, 25, 26 years of this now. So oh, cool. Uh, yeah, it's pretty darn cool so i guess i guess cool. the art the art of engraving has just kind of followed the uh the ranch life up there in in canada so it, like in western canada 
it's more uh, western bright cut, and you and uh, you think maybe over in in the eastern provinces, it's uh, more jewelry trade, or That's do you a have good any question. idea? Uh, yeah, I don't know who's over there. Um, it, no, that's a good question. I, I know, I, I believe it's, uh, as far as bright cut engraving goes, I, I think it's pretty predominantly Western related in one way or another. We do have lots of jewelry engravers here. Um, just kind of starting to meet a few new ones that have come out that are in my area and, and having some fun. The jewelry part of it for us, I think what's for us, the jewelry part of it kind of came along secondary for me. Um, I started out with the buckles and a lot of saddle silver. Um, I didn't care for it that much. I've, I've done a ton of buckles, but they certainly aren't my favorite oh, no? thing to do. What, um, what do you prefer for, to do? I love making big statement pieces, big, big necklaces, bracelets, stuff like that. And I like, I like it when things can tell a story. I don't always get to make those pieces, but those are the pieces I love to make is, uh, something that has a little bit of interest to it that can tell a bit of a story and, and it's very individual. What materials do you work in? I predominantly use sterling silver um use some copper and and bronze on occasion depending on on who my audience is at the time right who i'm what kind of clientele i'm working with and then i i work with some gold as well whenever i think western jewelry i always think turquoise and you know uh, elk, See, i don't do a ton i don't thing. do a ton of yeah yeah and then i do i, I do elk teeth i do some turquoise um, but that's not the main focus of, of my work. I do, I can set all that stuff. I can set some gemstones, um, but I don't focus my pieces around big pieces of turquoise right. at all. So that, that's not my main, my main focus. I can do it and I do do it, but it, it's not my main focus. So when you started out, uh, engraving, this was uh, last century. Did uh, yeah? <laughs> were you uh, hammer and chisel engraving or push engraving or what were you doing? No, I wasn't. I was. I had an engraver. I had a pneumatic engraver that my uncle made for me, and I had a hone that my uncle had made, and I knew nothing. I had no <laughs> idea what in the world I was doing. Uh, I didn't understand the different gauges of material. I had a bin full of scraps from my dad and I'd just grab it and make something out of whatever was there. Um, didn't understand that there was different sizes of saw blades. I would just grab one and if it worked great, if it broke, it didn't work. We'd grab another one and go. Um, yeah, I mean, I knew so little and, and there was no resources. There was no books. If there was a book, I didn't know how to find out what that book was. And and it's something that I've heard on your podcast that I'm I'm seeing as a pretty common theme, especially when you go back to that era, is that this was a uh, any type of engraving was pretty protected work and people did not welcome you into their shops. Um, they didn't share and and you kinda had to figure stuff out on your own, right, wrong, or otherwise, you figured out a way to make something work and ran with it until maybe somebody shared something with you that made it a little <laughs> bit easier yeah. than what you were doing. So, um, yeah, so that was that was kind of, you know, what that time frame was all about was just really figuring, trying to figure things out on your own. So here I am with this handmade engraver, not knowing that I can get a, which I eventually did once I got going and got a little money saved up, um, got myself some equipment and moved on from there. I've never hand pushed. I've tried it. I, I can do it if I had to. Yeah. My life depended on it. I could get my way through a piece um, and I've got the scars to prove it. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, 
not my first choice. Yeah, so. that's a little spooky. No, and there's, there's so much, yeah, there's so much technology out there to help us now. Why not? Well, um, yeah. I think a person's got to preserve their body as much as they can. I mean, I'm not getting any younger. And... I'm starting to notice it and feel it and and I'm a lot more conscientious of how I work and stretching my body and taking care of things and yeah just kind of preserving myself for as long as, as I can for to keep engraving because that is what I love to do so do you do, do anything for self-care when you're engraving well as a matter of fact I'm working on a, a whole episode about preserving the engraver which Good. mainly talks about how your shoulders shouldn't be touching your ears when you're working. <laughs> and, that takes a long time to figure out, though, doesn't and it? And if at the end of the day um, you hurt from sitting there, you better figure out some other way to sit. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And it, and a lot of us go through a lot of years without realizing that we could we could make a change, that we could make a difference. There's a gal on Instagram called Wellness for Makers. Oh, really? And I don't know whether you follow her or not, but she is all about um, movement for your body sitting at a at a jeweler's bench. Well, that's that's a and good thing to be uh, talking about. Engraving or work. Yeah, she's fantastic. And she's got a book coming out, I see. Um, but she has lots of exercises on there. She's got a great website. Um, she's got lots of uh, little um, kind of month-long classes kind of things you can sign up for like I think about 20 bucks or something and and she'll work on one particular part of the body that she thinks is important to work on that like right now I think it's hips and back or something like that hmm. and it's just like the getting up and down up and down because we sit so much right yep. and and how to keep things strong and and mobile through those areas so yeah I think it's super important and it's something I uh, wish would have clued in on a lot sooner yeah, I, I I didn't know that was on your mind. That's a, that's a, such a good point to bring up. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you a little bit about, uh, for the folks that don't know, what it means to be a Western Bright Cut Engraver. As a Western Bright Cut Engraver, we, everything kind of is based loosely on flowers and scrolls, which is much like what you do. Uh, except our scrolls don't vary quite as much. Well, let's talk about and let's talk about what makes. Uh, matter of fact, I'll say it like this: What makes a Western bright cut scroll? What what are its traits? You want a nice kind of round scroll. You can you can extend them out too, but you want some roundness on that backbone. Each of those rotations has to break down by half in size to give you a nice. Um, formed scroll and then your bright cuts can fit in to that area properly without getting all squished up and tight what makes western bright cut western bright cut and it's the bright cut it's the bright cuts that make it western bright cut and it's very similar to what you do and do you cut that with do you cut that with a 90 degree graver or i cut that with a flat a flat graver i with see. a flat graver Mm -hmm. So any of my bright cuts, I, I cut with uh, different widths of, of flat gravers. So predominantly, I use a 42 flat. Um, so nice, if I got so anything, something nice and wide? Uh, the 42 isn't real wide. Well, for, four, for, it might be to you. For most, 45 for, yeah, for, more, for me is wide. Most of the world, 42 is fairly wide, I think. Oh, really? Yeah. Maybe not to Western <laughs> See, bright cut engravers. Yeah, that's that's pretty average. And where does that's the bright average. where does the brightness come from? It comes from the way they're sharpened. So we different angles, um, as you do with your gravers. So the uh, most of my bright cut my flat gravers are sharpened on a forty five degree face and a fifteen degree heel or a thirty degree face face and a 20 degree heel um each one has a little different feel but they they both do the same thing um and then you you want to get a real nice shine on that heel and that's what gives you your your bright cut oh, their brightness very good is is that polish on the heel um and lots of people who think it's the actual silver itself but if you mm. don't have the polish on that heel if you're scratchy heel you're going to have scratchy yeah. 
cuts and and they're not going to shine. That's what I was going to tell you. Just tell those people to put a scratch on their tool and see if that doesn't show up in their cut. (laughs) See see what happens. See what happens. And so So, one of the things to me that makes that style different than the sort of uh, scroll work that I do is that you're making the the bright cuts are actually what would be on my style, the dark parts. And so you're, yeah. you're adding a flash, which and under certain, uh, certain uh, lighting conditions is dark, but in, in other times it glistens like a diamond. Yes. Yeah. No, that's exactly right. You know, years ago, um, you know, just given advice from other engravers was to study, get a, get a gun engraving book because those were resources that were available. Um, and I really struggled with translating your style of engraving to my style of engraving. What is the negative space? What is the bright cut? What is, you know, if I had to translate it over to what I was doing, I, I struggled with that. And and it took me a long time to be able to to kind of translate that over and say, okay, here's here is the spot that you're using as a dark spot. I'm using it as a bright spot and put it all all together. So yeah, and then, then we do some shading in there with a liner um, and also with a V-graver as well. But most of the shading in between those bright cuts is done with a liner. So, uh, tell everybody um, what a liner is. What a liner is, yes. So it's it's a, another graver that is made with little tiny ridges on the bottom side of it. So instead of putting a heel on it, you would leave it alone on the bottom and let those lines cut through. So it cuts a series of lines together side by side. And depending on the liner that you have, it could have three lines and it it could have 20 lines. Right. And and they can be spaced differently underneath. They can be tighter together or wider apart. So um, you use it just like you would any other graver. Um, you just run it along, uh, push it along, chisel it along, whatever you're using as your your. Now you said you said of, push it power. You said push it along, and you know what I mm-hmm. I've seen people pull them before. You ever seen that? Really? Yeah. No, I haven't. Yeah. Or I'm dying to go try it no, now. No, it's it's not worth it. <laughs> it's not worth it. But uh, no, I've never seen it. You know they don't have much use in. Uh, Gun engraving, actually, zero use in gun engraving because yeah. they're, they're not particularly hard tools. Right. However, when I've dabbled in uh, uh, Western engraving, I can sure mess stuff up in a hurry with those things. So that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> they, they take a little bit of getting used to, but once you get it down, you're away. Yeah. So they're not. Not too hard after you've practiced for a while. So. Is there any st- <laughs> is there any stigma to uh, doing single point shading on no, Western not engraving? No, at all. Um, no, you know things are really I think changed a lot over, especially over the last ten years. Where um, I feel as long as you've got your basics down, then after that you can do a lot of interpretation. And and I'm not going to say that not all bright cut engravers. Um, wouldn't judge you for doing something different. Um, but uh, no, I think things have really opened up that way. And, and like I said, as long as you've got your basics, you know, your basic layout done properly as far as how your, your scrolls and your flowers go together and whatnot, as far as what you're going to do for shading, I, I think you can do that with your V-grave or with your liner, with whatever you'd like to do yeah. and, and make it interesting. Well, there's always traditionalists out there, aren't there? Yeah, there's always traditionalists, and and then there's, you know, things that are broadening out and opening up and new styles being created all the time, and and I think it's kind of fun. I think we're in a, we're in a fun time right now where people are exploring. Every day when we open up Instagram, you know, there's new inspiration out there, and it, it is, like you said, it's a really great time to be involved in engraving in general. Absolutely. It, it actually, there's so much that sometimes it can be overwhelming so i and i remember my son's an engraver as well oh i didn't Um, know that my oldest yeah he's been a full-time engraver he does more jewelry well Um, well, you're gonna you're gonna like give a shout out and 
So absolutely, <laughs> Tate McRae Silver. Tate McRae Silver. So he does does a yeah. Uh, he's got a class right now with Nevada Watts via Maker School on ring making and and gem setting. Well, very good. So yes. Was when he was kind of first getting going, the amount of engravers that were showing up on social media were just kind of starting to blow up a little bit, and and it was quite exciting. And I would spend a lot of time looking at things. And and he said to me one day, "Do you know, Mom, if you want to make something new and exciting and really get inspired, he said, turn the social media off and just get your pencil on your paper." And I think of that a lot. So. Sometimes when I, I do get on social media and I, I'm looking at everything and, and getting excited about something new, but then I think, well, what am I going to do now? What am I going to do? You know, someone else has already kind of done this, and but it's given me an idea. But then I, I get my paper and pencil out and he's right. The, the best inspirations come from your own pencil. Oh, I think that's good advice, too. Uh, being being near Fort Worth, yeah. I, I'm very lucky that we have some world-class art museums here. And every so often, oh, yeah. if I'm in a if I'm in a rut, I'll get out and go to the Eamon Carter or or the Kimball and see what you know what the masters did, and I, yeah. it's generally good for a little bit of boost somewhere. Yeah, it 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 really is, especially when you can get something really classic. Yeah, and just kind of bring you back to those basics again and back to those roots, and then it kind of gets you going again to develop your own stuff. Now you said your son was teaching. Uh, you offer classes as well, don't you? Yeah, I do. Um, I started teaching, well, I've kind of taught a little bit over the years. Uh, just, you know, people who might call and say, hey, I want to learn how to do this. Will you teach me? And I kind of would always kind of hesitantly say, I, I don't know that I'm qualified to be doing that yet. I don't feel confident enough to, to be teaching you. But I, I took a few students on over the years. And then in 2020, as you know, we all went on our little roller coaster ride. Oh, did something happen? <laughs> just I don't know a little something. There's a little <laughs> shift in the earth here, um, and by the end of that year, uh, or midway through that year, I had such a list of people reaching out saying, and I and I think people were just really in need of something, and 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 so many people reached out and said, "Would you do a class? Would you teach? Would you take on a student?" And I thought, well, I, I can't just keep doing this one at a time so let's set some weekends and kind of, i had equipment to do two students and as you know equipment isn't cheap for for this certainly gig. Isn't, no. so yeah so i was lucky enough my dad works in my shop now too um my parents didn't used to live beside me they used to live about 12 hours away but a couple of years ago they moved out here and my dad works in my shop as well so i had a full set of equipment for two people so i, I started doing three-day classes and, and it was an in Intro to Western Bright Cut Engraving and Basic Silversmithing. Uh, just wanted to give people a chance to come and try it and play with it. And if they never go on and do anything else again with it, that's fine. They've had some fun and they've learned something new. And they know if they want to make the investment or not after they've, they've played around with it. Instead of going and getting themselves set up with a bunch of equipment that might be wrong and then trying to learn how to use it. We just I, I thought there was there was a need for it. So I, I did huh, I think I did three classes that first fall in twenty twenty and then had such a waiting list for the next year that I just sat down and set up dates throughout the year and we we filled it and, and then did the same thing in January this year and set up I think did nine classes this year. Oh goodness. Throughout the year. Mostly in the spring and in the fall. Yeah, I made I have overcommitted just a little bit this year with that, but <laughs> I, uh, I might reel it back a little bit next year. But what I'm finding is that I've got the intro classes, but now I've got, you know, people that have come to an intro class and then they've gone home and they've bought their equipment and now they're ready to take that next step. And actually, you know, we don't do anything like sharpening gravers or scroll work in that first class that that just to me is a waste of time if they don't have any equipment that's that's not fun for them to learn and they're not going to remember it anyways so um so yeah this give them an opportunity to i give them a you know a list of equipment that they would need if they wanted to invest in it and some of them did and so then 
they were ready to come back for a second class and a third class. So it's kind of evolving and growing and and has been lots of fun. And to my knowledge, I, I know there's one other fellow that does a little bit of teaching uh, up north, but it's mostly bits and spur work. So I can give you that start now up here and you don't need to travel so far. And, and I mean, our other option was GRS, which was great. And I love GRS's classes. But for us right now, it's 30 cents on the dollar. All right. You know, so a thousand dollar class costs us another, you know, $300 on there. And then same with our travel expenses and everything else. So um, this gives, you know, people up here an option, some place to go to get started or to find out if they want to continue with it. And then they'll take a second class at GRS that might, it will advance them much quicker now that they've got those basics. Um, with my parents being horse trainers, everything was about base. If they've got the right basics put on them, then they can advance into whatever event they're going to go into and know how to maneuver their bodies properly and, and do the different athletic moves they might have to do. And engraving is exactly the same. You know, you, if you don't have the basics and understand, and that is something I didn't know until I've been engraving for probably 12 years already. And then finally got an opportunity to go and learn with someone else and it, they just kind of brought me right back to the basics. And that was with Scott Hardy. And that was through the through the TCA. And it was probably one of their very first scholarships that they gave out at that time huh. to an engraver. It was what is, about what 2012 is, or so. What is the TCA? The TCA is the Traditional Cowboy Artists Association. And they formed about, was it 25 years ago, 26 years ago? Their intent was to bring together the Western arts, uh, bright cut engraving and silversmithing, uh, rawhide braiding, uh, leather or um, saddle making, and um, bit and spur making. Now, I follow a few artists online that are members of this club, and oh, when yeah. I see the so projects talented. they put out, it's just unbelievable. Yeah. So you, isn't you're it? you're isn't it? you're in good with those folks, huh? So well. <laughs> I I know a couple of them by name, but not all. Oh, uh. <laughs> I say hi to a few of them on the street. So um, Scott Hardy is a member. Um, he actually lives about an hour and a half away from me. And so I've been very fortunate enough to get to go and work with him a couple of times. And then another former member was Mark Drain. And I also have had the very good fortune to go and work with him. A couple of times as well so i've been very lucky that way and have managed to meet a few of those fellas that are just phenomenal artists How cool. and and yeah get to go and hang out with them for a couple of days and i mean what you you learn just having conversation with them is so wonderful you know they just get so much knowledge and and want to see the want to see the engraving world you know the Western bright cut world, the engraving world, whatever, all together. They, they, they just want to see it keep going and excelling and and keep their tradition alive. So that's what the, the TCA was formed with that intent. Well, I'm going to have um, to have some of them to, on the show sometime. They, that sounds yeah, really cool. Oh, absolutely. They're a really interesting organization. Um, they're really about promoting and educating and bringing value to what we do. You know, that, that was another big thing, too. Um, Years ago, I had a, I was kind of in a bit of a burnout phase, and I must have been whining to someone. And I remember him asking me, why do you do this? Um, is it because of the art, because you want to be an artist, or is it because you like the money? And I thought, well, I'm not making that much money, but I'm no <laughs> artist, so I'm not really sure. <laughs> and, you know, I've been kind of confused. It's a question I've come back to, like, a lot of times over the years and thought about it and thought about it. And thought, okay, that was such an interesting question. And, and he was a, he's a former NHL um, hockey player. Who's this? Who's a neighbor of ours who's a rancher. His name is Dean Kennedy. And, and actually grew up about... I bet we were 10 miles apart where we grew up, but there was a dividing line between his place and mine as to which direction you went to to go to school. Oh. <laughs> and so I, I never knew him when we were growing up, but 
he would come home in the summers and he'd started team roping and he met my dad. And then as he was getting close to retiring, he started looking for a ranch to buy and, and came out here and bought a ranch down the road hmm. from us. So, yeah, so it was kind of an interesting question coming from from someone that I didn't, you know, expect it to come from. And and I've thought about it a lot over the years. And, you know, with the TCA, their intent is to let's bring value to our art and 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 try and promote it that way and and give it a a different view to people that this is art and it's working art or it's collectibles, um, you know? And so I I come back to that question of, of, do you do this for the art or for the money and why can't it be for both? Right. Or just because you don't have a television. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's the first thing I always assume when I see people with like five or six kids, I was like, Oh, those folks don't have a TV. I kind of have committed my next year. I would like to just take a little bit of a step back and just try and learn as much more as I can. Um, I've got a stack of books that I've gone through over the years, but maybe have skimmed through them and just want to, I just want to step back and just read them front to back and go over them very thoroughly. I want to go and see some of my favorite engravers and just hang out and spend a little time with them again over the next year. Um, Just feeling like I really need that after this last couple of years and just touching base with with what I do on a little deeper level, I've I've got some projects planned that I'm just going to kind of probably step away from social media even and just really focus on. Well, I probably won't do that. I yeah, don't do that. Like keeping, you got to keep that presence up, that's, don't you? That's one thing I didn't mention Thanks. is how much I enjoy your, your social media posts. They're always, oh, they're always something new and something f- usually funny. So, so okay. <laughs> um. The social media world was that Instagram was new to me, and my son got me on there a couple of years ago, and I thought, okay, this has got huge potential um, if I learn how to use it properly. And so I actually paid good money to take a course um, from a fella on how to use Instagram for small businesses on there, and and I think that was probably the best thing I ever did because. It got me over any fear of talking about yourself. Like, that's a hard thing to do. Sure. You know, and, uh, you know, you feel a little vulnerable to the world to, like, you've opened yourself up for anything once you start talking about yourself on there. But uh, if you do it in a positive manner and and keep things, you know, light and, and educational, and it can certainly be a, a very good friend. Well, like I said, I think you've done a really good job on that. That's uh, so well. Thank you very it, it really much. Make, so. It makes you stand out. I mean, your work is great, but you, you get more eyes on your work if you can oh, yeah. put out a, a, a you know a good lure like that. So yeah. So and you're talking about you know future plans. Like I said, I just want to really touch uh, touch in on on educating myself some more. So I've got more to offer when I'm teaching. I'll, I'll do more classes again next year. I'll, I'm going to keep that going. Um, got myself set up now. I got a third engraver, so I can do three students at a time now, but that's about as max for room that I have. I got a really nice letter in the mail here just uh, back in January from the Academy of Western Artists, and it was to inform me that I was chosen to be the engraver of the year. Oh, how cool. Um, Well, yeah, it was very cool, actually. It was quite a shock. It was quite a surprise, and um, it it comes with a little bit of, I don't know, a little bit of weight almost with it, for me, anyways. Um, and, And they made it clear to me when I talked to them that, you know, what... I'm the second Canadian to receive this in 26 years. Oh wow! And I'm the first woman Canadian. Very good. To to receive it, and I'm only the third woman 
And the other two gals, one's from Australia, one's from the U.S., and I happen to know them both, so that's pretty cool. And, uh, yeah, so they're having a banquet in Fort Worth in October, and so we will be, my husband and I are heading to Fort Worth and making a little holiday out of it, and we're coming to see you, Wade. Oh, yeah, I was going to tell you, I know somebody that lives in Fort Worth. You'll have to come see him. (laughs) So we can actually refer to you as as a friend in person. You don't know this, but uh, and the rest of the world probably won't know this. But I mean, I became acquainted with you through the COVID times, through Instagram, and uh, latched onto your work. Loved your Instagram page as well. And uh, I mean, we've had a few different conversations over the last couple of years here, and I've always enjoyed them. But in our house, if I say my Instagram buddy, Instagram buddy. My husband knows exactly who I'm talking about. <laughs> well, very good. And if he wants to know something about what you're up to, he'll say, hey, what's your Instagram buddy doing? And so that's, that's what you're known as in my house is, is our Instagram buddy. Oh, how sweet. So, <laughs> so it would be a real pleasure to meet you in person. And, and we do plan on making that happen when we're down in Fort Worth this fall. Amazing. So. Well, congratulations on that. Thank you very much. So... Uh, let's move on and talk about everybody's favorite part of the show. Uh, let's talk about what your what what piece that you've made that you've been the most proud of in your career. Uh, well, I've probably got two pieces that are near and dear to my heart. Um, I, I made a piece. The TCA used to have something called the Emerging Artists Competition, and you applied for it, and they chose ten people to come and participate in it and you just made a piece that you it it gave you a reason to push yourself on a piece let's put it that way I like a competitive edge to things sometimes I think it it pushes you to do something harder than you would normally do because I mean I'm kind of a lazy person if I don't have to go that hard if I don't need to do that much extra on it you know you you don't we're, because you don't always get paid for it, right? <laughs> right. Sometimes you want to put all that extra into it, but you know you're not going to get paid for it. So you, you reel it back. And that's that's something that comes with doing a lot of customs for me anyways, is not having that clientele that might be willing to pay for some of the extra things you might want to do. So um, so some of these competitions were really fun to, to participate in and push. So I made a, a locket called Wild Rose that went to that competition and it just about broke me. <laughs> um, I, <laughs> I made it twice out of copper. Um, I, my, my silver was back ordered. I don't think I've ever had my silver order back ordered once in 15 years, but it got back ordered on that. Mm. Um, it, it had some tricky components, a lot of layering, to it and and i tried to include a lot of different things you know hinges clasps riveting you know and and put it all together into this piece that told a story that depicted the the wild heart of most women and i had a little trick rider on it in gold going and it was kind of a peekaboo window and there was wild roses all through it in vines and rose gold making another wild rose on the front and um yeah and and you know the chain i made all the chain for that one and 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 it literally um what was really cool about going to this competition was tate also got accepted that year my son oh, wow. And so we were getting to do this together, and, and that was super cool. So we were kind of working in the same shop at that time, and so it was really fun to cheer each other on and, and help each other out with these projects. And and uh, my no, he got his done, and, and we were to fly out at, I think we had a, a 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning flight, and we're almost three hours from the airport. And I he was ready to go and I was still trying to finish my project. And I said, I don't know if I'm going to make it like you go, um, him and his wife were going up the night before. And, and of course staying somewhere closer to the airport, which was reasonable. And, uh, I said, if I'm there, I'm there. And if I'm not just get on the plane and go. And, uh, I got it done. I got my pet bags packed and, 
I think I got myself fully dressed right down to earrings on hair done. And I laid down and I slept for about an hour. And I think it was the first time I'd slept in about 23 hours. <laughs> and, and I slept and got in the truck and headed to Calgary. And I got there 50 minutes before they did. So we made it. And but I always love that piece. It actually lives in Texas somewhere. I'm not exactly certain where, but that's where it's home ended up being and uh yeah it was one of my my very favorite pieces well, that i did you'll have to send me so. a, a image of it so i can post it on the yeah i will hand engraver gotcha. instagram page yeah. hand engraving sure. podcast anyways yes the hand engraving podcast okay so we all love it when uh we do well but let's hear about a time maybe a project didn't work out the way you wanted it to well wait as i said <laughs> we were talking about this before. Um, I've had several projects that didn't turn out the way I wanted them to. And, and I refer to those pieces as educational pieces. They, they cost you, but uh, they, uh, you learn from them. You, you burn some stuff up. Heck, I've started my shop on fire working on pieces. Oh, wow. I've, I've had, uh, you know, you get into a, a lot of our, my trophy buckles are made out of a, uh, different um, material called uh, silver fill. So it's uh, 75% of the thickness is nickel silver and the top 25% layer is sterling. Oh, I can see so where this it, is it, going. It makes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it makes them a lot more affordable, um, but they have lots of strength. You don't have to, you know, if you're doing sterling, you'd have to like 14 gauge, 12 gauge to get the strength out of it, where this you can go with like a 16 gauge but. When you heat this stuff up, you got to be super careful because that sterling will blister right. right off there if you're not careful. And I've blistered a lot of that stuff over the years. Or how about you get in, like, do you work with a lot of sterling? Uh, you know, I took a, an intro to silver smithing class at a local, um, a local club, and when I got done with it, I made, you know, bracelets and rings and things, but... Yeah. Once I tried to do the things that I wanted to make in my mind, the buckles and bolo ties <laughs> and stuff, it just became a red cr crusty mess. Translate the oh, same? Yeah. I was the worst. Well, for anyone who does work with sterling all the time, you know how fast it can disappear on you when you're heating that yeah. stuff up. So, you know, there's there's been a lot of that over the years where you get pretty intense into something and you're just you know, I got to just, you're just pushing it. I got to put one more piece on there. I got to add one more piece. I'm going to, I'm going to go for it. And then poof, the whole thing just disappears into a big ball. It's like, <laughs> okay, well, maybe that was going one step too far. So well, I, I can't say that I have that one project that was such a wreck that I remember it. It stood out in my mind because I've had many small ones over the years. That <laughs> Well, I think that's good enough. Uh Keep accumulating. You know, my my favorite thing about working with silver was thinking that I had a good joint and then throwing it in the uh, pickle only for it to fall apart. Right. Yes. <laughs> That's always such a nice surprise, so, isn't it? So much fun. So much fun. <laughs> so you're just like, oh, I nailed that. Mm, well, Pull it out. Nope. Very humbling. Yes, it is. Soldering is very humbling. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. So that's one of the things I'm always the nervous most nervous about what I've got students is is soldering with them and we don't do a ton of it in my intro class but we do touch on it and and I use an oxyacetylene setup and uh, so I, I put them right on the big guns right to begin with and and I always tell them please do not take it personally if I shout at you <laughs> but when I, when I say get out with your flame don't think about it just do it and then i'll explain it to you later because <laughs> i can see things happening that you're maybe not seeing quite yet wow. so just 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 go with it so well very good it's like yeah you're watching probably it's like now get out now so <laughs> it's uh yeah so <laughs> well we're almost done with the show but i always like to ask uh who are your favorite engravers oh i've got so many, so many. I'm such a fan of, I mean, I am a fan of Scott Hardy's work. I'm a fan of Mark Dreams. I'm a fan of Jeremiah and Nevada Watts. I'm a fan of yours. Um, and I'm a fan of my sons and my dads. And 
I mean, I could go on and on. Ernie Marsh just stuff makes my mouth water. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm a fan of anybody who's brave enough to pick up a graver, Wade. Do you have anything uh, that you want to say to the world before we before we stop? Yeah, I do. I would like to say thank you to you for starting this podcast. I think it is such a valuable addition to the engraving world. And especially like as a bright cutter, I feel we don't have that sense of community um, within the engravers. And, and I just think this is such a wonderful start to, to trying to promote that. Um, I went to a forum with the TCA this winter and that was one of the main focuses was creating sense of community amongst engravers and, and how we can all do our part to to encourage that and and kind of change some of that stigma of this being a good old boys club and and we we don't share anymore and we don't do that things are changing and and i i truly want to thank you for doing your part and that and including all of us in that well i couldn't do it without my excellent guest and you certainly rank amongst the best here so i thank you for coming thank you very much for having me and I'm so looking forward to meeting you this fall. I do, too. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's been Kelly McRae. We'll see you, Wade. What a great show. Kelly brought up so many good points. I'm just going to have to have her back on sometime. I'd like to thank Kelly for her time. It was a delight to speak to her. I'd like to thank Marius Mellaby, better known as Engraver Hand, for the show's music. And I'd like to extend a special thanks to Kyle Montoya for help with the production of the show. Thanks, everybody. And thank you to listeners from all over the world. If it weren't for you, I'd be sitting here talking to myself. So thank you all. I will see you next time.